0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn. As we approach the conclusion of this great novel, I wanted to make mention of portions of this story that deal negatively with Jews, especially the Jew who was guiding Chauvelin's cart. In European history, Jews were displaced and maltreated for centuries, and the opinions and comments espoused by this story's villain, Chauvelin, was not uncommon for the time. Our hero, Lord Percy, used Chauvelin's blind bigotry to accomplish his own means. I don't believe the author of this story has racist overtones. I see the story as mirroring history as it was. I believe all of us can and should be proud of our heritage and to judge all men by their actions and the content of their character. In no way here at 1001 do we want to promote racist thinking in any way. And now, on with our story. Today, the exciting conclusion of The Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Orczy. Starting with Chapter 30, The Schooner. Marguerite's aching heart stood still. She felt, more than she heard, the men on the watch preparing for the fight. Her senses told her that each, with sword in hand, was crouching, ready for the spring. The voice came nearer and nearer in the vast immensity of these lonely cliffs with a loud murmur of the sea below. It was impossible to say how near or how far, nor yet from which direction came that cheerful singer who sang to God to save his king, whilst he himself was in such deadly danger. at first, the voice grew louder and louder. From time to time a small pebble detached itself apparently from beneath the firm tread of the singer and went rolling down the rocky cliffs to the beach below. Marguerite, as she heard, felt that her very life was slipping away, as if when that voice drew nearer, when that singer became entrapped, she distinctly heard the click of Descas's gun close to her. No, O oh God in Heaven, this cannot be. Let Armand's blood then be upon her own head. Let her be branded as his murderer. Let even he whom she loved despise and loathe her for this, but God, O oh God, save him at any cost with a wild shriek. She sprang to her feet and darted round the rock against which she had been cowering. She saw the little red gleam through the chinks of the hut. She ran up to it and fell against its wooden walls, which she began to hammer with clenched fists in an almost maniacal frenzy while she shouted, Armand! Armand! For God's sake, fire! Your leader is near. He is coming. He is betrayed. Armand! Fire in heaven's name! She was seized and thrown to the ground. She lay there moaning, bruised, not caring, but still half sobbing, half shrieking. Percy, my husband, for God's sake, fly! Armand! Why don't you fire? One of you stop that woman screaming, hissed Chauvelin, who hardly could refrain from striking her. Something was thrown over her face, she could not breathe, and perforce she was silent. The bold singer, too, had become silent, warned, no doubt, of his impending danger by Marguerite's frantic shrieks. The men had sprung to their feet, there was no need for further silence on their part. The very cliffs echoed the poor, heartbroken woman's screams. Chauvelin, with a muttered oath, which boded no good to her, who had dared to upset his most cherished plans, had hastily shouted the word of command, "'Into it, my men!' "'and let no one escape from that hut alive. "'The moon had once more emerged from between the clouds. "'The darkness on the cliffs had gone, "'giving place once more to brilliant, silvery light. "'Some of the soldiers had rushed to the rough, wooden door of the hut, "'whilst one of them kept guard over Marguerite. "'The door was partially open. "'One of the soldiers pushed it further, "'but within all was darkness, "'the charcoal fire only lighting with a dim, red light "'the furthest corner of the hut. "'The soldiers paused automatically at the door,' like machines waiting for further orders. Chauvelin, who was prepared for a violent onslaught from within, and for a vigorous resistance from the four fugitives, under cover of the darkness, was for the moment paralyzed with astonishment when he saw the soldier standing there at attention, like sentries on guard, whilst not a sound proceeded from the hut. Filled with strange, anxious foreboding, he too went to the door of the hut, and peering into the gloom, he asked quickly, What is the meaning of this? I think, said Douyin, that there is no one there now, "'replied one of the soldiers imperturbably. "'You have not let those four men go?' thundered Chauvelin, menacingly. "'I ordered you to let no man escape alive. "'Quick after them, all of you. Quick in every direction.' "'The men, obedient as machines, rushed down the rocky incline towards the beach, "'some going off to the right, others to the left, as fast as their feet could carry them. "'You and your men will pay with your lives for this blunder,' said the sergeant said Chauvelin viciously to the sergeant who had been in charge of the men. "'And you too, Citoyen,' he added, turning with a snarl to disgust, for disobeying my orders. "'You ordered us to wait, Citoyen, until the tall Englishman arrived and joined the four men in the hut. No one came,' said the sergeant, sullenly. "'But I ordered you just now, when the woman screamed, to rush in and let no one escape. But Citoyen, the four men who were there before had been gone some time, I think.' "'You think?' "'You!' said Chauvelin, almost choking with fury. "'And you let them go?' "'You ordered us to wait,' said Huyen, protested the sergeant, "'and to implicitly obey your commands on pain of death. "'So we waited.' "'I heard the men creep out of the hut not many minutes after we took cover, "'and long before the woman screamed,' he added, "'as Chauvelin seemed still quite speechless with rage. "'Hark!' said Desgas suddenly. In the distance, the sound of repeated firing was heard. Chauvelin tried to peer along the beach below, but as luck would have it, the fitful moon once more hid her light behind a bank of clouds, and he could see nothing. "'One of you go into the hut and strike a light,' he stammered at last. Stolidly, the sergeant obeyed. He went up to the charcoal fire and lit the small lantern he carried in his belt. It was evident that the hut was quite empty. "'Which way did they go?' asked Chauvelin. "'I could not tell, Situyen.' said the sergeant. They went straight down the cliff first, then disappeared behind some boulders. Hush! What was that? All three men listened attentively. In the far, very far distance could be heard faintly echoing and already dying away, the quick, sharp splash of half a dozen oars. Chauvelin took out his handkerchief and wiped the perspiration from his forehead. The schooner's boat! was all he gasped. Evidently, Armand St. Just and his three companions had managed to creep along the side of the cliffs, whilst the men, like two soldiers of the well-drilled Republican army, had with blind obedience, and in fear of their lives, implicitly obeyed Chauvelin's orders to wait for the tall Englishman, who was the important capture. They had no doubt reached one of the creeks which jut far out into the sea on this coast at intervals. Behind this, the boat of the daydream must have been on the lookout for them, and they were by now safely on board the British schooner. As if to confirm this last supposition the dull boom of a gun was heard from out at sea. "'The schooner's at the end, said Discas quietly. "'She's off.' It needed all Chauvelin's nerve and presence of mind not to give way to a useless and undignified access of rage. There was no doubt now that once again that accursed British head had completely outwitted him. How he had contrived to reach the hut without being seen by one of thirty soldiers who guarded the spot was more than Chauvelin could conceive.' that he had done so before the thirty men had arrived on the cliff was, of course, fairly clear, but how he had come over in Reuben Goldstein's cart, all the way from Calais, without being sighted by the various patrols on duty, was impossible of explanation. It really seemed as if some potent fate watched over that daring scarlet pimpernel, and his astute enemy almost felt a superstitious shudder pass through him as he looked round at the towering cliffs and the loneliness of this outlying coast. But surely this was reality." At the year of grace, 1792, there were no fairies and hobgoblins about. Chauvelin and his thirty men had all heard with their own ears that accursed voice singing, God save the king, fully twenty minutes after they had all taken cover around the hut. By that time the four fugitives must have reached the creek and got into the boat, and the nearest creek was more than a mile from the hut. Where had that daring singer got to? Unless Satan himself would lend him wings— He could not have covered that mile on a rocky cliff in the space of two minutes, and only two minutes had elapsed between his song and the sound of the boat's oars away at sea. He must have remained behind, and was even now hiding somewhere about the cliffs. The patrols were still about. He would still be sighted, no doubt. Chauvelin felt hopeful once again. One or two of the men who had run after the fugitives were now slowly working their way up the cliff. One of them reached Chauvelin's side at the very moment that this hope arose in the astute diplomatist's heart. "'We were too late, Citoyen,' the soldier said. "'We reached the beach just before the moon was hidden by that bank of clouds. "'The boat had undoubtedly been on the lookout behind that first creek a mile off, "'but she had shoved off some time ago when we got to the beach "'and was already some way out to sea. "'We fired after her, but, of course, it was no good. "'She was making straight and quickly for the schooner. "'We saw her very clearly in the moonlight.' "'Yes,' said Chauvelin, with eager impatience. She had shoved off some time ago, you said, and the nearest creek is a mile further on. Yes, said Huyen. I ran all the way, straight to the beach, though I guessed the boat would have waited somewhere near the creek, as the tide would reach there earliest. The boat must have shoved off some minutes before the woman began to scream. Some minutes before the woman began to scream. Then Chauvelin's hopes had not deceived him. The scarlet pimpernel may have contrived to send the fugitives on ahead by the boat, but he himself had not had time to reach it. He was still on shore, and all the roads were well patrolled. At any rate, all was not yet lost, and would not be, whilst that impudent Britisher was still on French soil. Bring the light in here, he commanded, as he once more entered the hut. The sergeant brought his lantern, and together the two men explored the little place. With a rapid glance, Chauvelin noted its contents the cauldron placed close under an aperture in the wall, and containing the last few dying embers of burned charcoal. A couple of stools, overturned as if in the haste of sudden departure. Then the fisherman's tools and his nets lying in one corner, and beside them something small and white. "'Pick that up,' said Chauvelin to the sergeant, pointing to this white scrap, "'and bring it to me.' It was a crumpled piece of paper, evidently forgotten there by the fugitives, in their hurry to get away. The sergeant, much awed by the citoyen's obvious rage and impatience, picked the paper up and handed it respectfully to Chauvelin." "'Read it, sergeant,' said the latter, curtly. "'It's almost illegible,' said Huyen. "'A fearful scrawl.' "'I ordered you to read it,' repeated Chauvelin, viciously. "'The sergeant, by the light of his lantern, "'began deciphering the few hastily scrawled words. "'I cannot quite reach you without risking your lives "'and endangering the success of your rescue. "'When you receive this, wait two minutes, "'then creep out of the hut one by one, "'turn to your left sharply, "'and creep cautiously down the cliff.' "'Keep to the left all the time, till you reach the first rock, "'which you see jutting far out to sea. "'Behind it, in the creek, the boat is on the lookout for you. "'Give a long, sharp whistle. "'She will come up. "'Get into her. "'My men will row you to the schooner, and thence to England and safety. "'Once on board the daydream, send the boat back for me. "'Tell my men that I shall be at the creek, "'which is in a direct line opposite the Chagrin near Calais. "'They know it. "'I shall be there as soon as possible.' They must wait for me at a safe distance out to sea till they hear the usual signal. Do not delay, and obey these instructions implicitly. Then there is the signature, Citoyen, added the sergeant, as he handed the paper back to Chauvelin. But the latter had not waited an instant. One phrase of the momentous scrawl had caught his ear. I shall be at the creek which is in a direct line opposite the Chagri, near Calais. That phrase might yet mean victory for him. Which of you knows this coast well? he shouted to his men, who now one by one had all returned from their fruitless run, and were all assembled once more round the hut. "'I do, Cetoyen,' said one of them. "'I was born in Calais, and I know every stone of these cliffs. "'There is a creek in direct line from the Chagri? "'There is, Cetoyen. I know it well. "'The Englishman is hoping to reach that creek. He does not know every stone of these cliffs. He may go there by the longest way round, and in any case he will proceed cautiously for fear of the patrols. At any rate, there is a chance to get him yet. A thousand francs to each man who gets to that creek before that long-legged Englishman. I know a shortcut across the cliffs, said the soldier, and with an enthusiastic shout, he rushed forward, followed closely by his comrades. Within a few minutes, their running footsteps had died away in the distance. Chauvelin listened to them for a moment. The promise of the reward was lending spurs to the soldiers of the Republic. The gleam of hate and anticipated triumph was once more apparent on his face. Close to him, Descasse still stood mute and impassive, waiting for further orders, whilst two soldiers were kneeling beside the prostrate form of Marguerite. Chauvelin gave his secretary a vicious look. His well-laid plan had failed. Its sequel was problematical. There was still a great chance now that the scarlet pimpernel might yet escape, and Chauvelin, with that unreasoning fury which sometimes assails a strong nature, was longing to vent his rage on somebody." "'The soldiers were holding Marguerite pinioned to the ground, "'though she, poor soul, was not making the faintest struggle. Overwrought nature had at last peremptorily asserted itself, "'and she lay there in a dead swoon, "'her eyes circled by deep purple lines "'that told of long, sleepless nights. "'Her hair matted and damp round her forehead, "'her lips parted in a sharp curve that spoke of physical pain. "'The cleverest woman in Europe, "'the elegant and fashionable Lady Blakeney, "'who had dazzled London society with her beauty.' her wit, and her extravagances, presented a very pathetic picture of tired-out, suffering womanhood, which would have appealed to any but the hard, vengeful heart of her baffled enemy. "'It is no use mounting guard over a woman who is half dead,' he said spitefully to the soldiers, "'when you have allowed five men who are very much alive to escape.' Obediently the soldiers rose to their feet. "'You'd better try and find that footpath again for me, and that broken-down cart we left on the road.' THEN SUDDENLY A BRIGHT IDEA SEEMED TO STRIKE HIM. AH! BY THE BY! WHERE'S THE JEW? CLOSE BY HERE, Citoyen SAID DISCAS. I GAGGED HIM AND TIED HIS LEGS TOGETHER AS YOU COMMANDED. FROM THE IMMEDIATE vicinity, A PLAINTIVE MOAN REACHED CHAUVELIN'S EARS. HE FOLLOWED HIS SECRETARY, WHO LED THE WAY TO THE OTHER SIDE OF THE HUT, WHERE, FALLEN INTO AN ABSOLUTE HEAP OF DEJECTION, WITH HIS LEGS TIGHTLY PINIONED TOGETHER AND HIS MOUTH GAGGED, LAY THE UNFORTUNATE DESCENDANT OF ISRAEL. His face in the silvery light of the moon looked positively ghastly with terror. His eyes were wide open and almost glassy, and his whole body was trembling, as if with ague, while a piteous wail escaped his bloodless lips. The rope which had originally been wound round his shoulders and arms had evidently given way, for it lay in a tangle about his body, but he seemed quite unconscious of this, for he had not made the slightest attempt to move from the place where disgust had originally put him. Like a terrified chicken which looks upon a line of white chalk drawn on a table, "'as on a string which paralyzes its movements. "'Bring the cowardly brute here,' commanded Chauvelin. "'He certainly felt exceedingly vicious, "'and since he had no reasonable grounds "'for venting his ill-humour on the soldiers "'who had but too punctually obeyed his orders, "'he felt that the son of the despised race "'would prove an excellent butt. "'With true French contempt of the Jew, "'which had survived this lapse of centuries "'even to this day, "'he would not go too near him, "'but said with biting sarcasm, as the wretched old man was brought in full light of the moon by the two soldiers. "'I suppose now, that being a Jew, you have a good memory for bargains.' "'Answer!' he again commanded, as the Jew, with trembling lips, seemed too frightened to speak. "'Yes, Your Honor,' stammered the poor wretch. "'You remember, then, the one you and I made together in Calais, when you undertook to overtake Reuben Goldstein, his nag, and my friend the tall stranger, eh?' "'But... but... "'Your Honor.' "'There is no but,' I said. "'Do you remember?' "'Yes, Your Honor.' "'What was the bargain?' "'There was dead silence. "'The unfortunate man looked round at the great cliffs, "'the moon above, the stolid faces of the soldiers, "'and even at the poor, prostrate, inanimate woman close by, "'but said nothing. "'Will you speak?' "'Thundered Chauvelin, menacingly. "'He did try, poor wretch, but... Obviously he could not. There was no doubt, however, that he knew what to expect from the stern man before him. "'Your Honor,' he ventured imploringly. "'Since your terror seems to have paralyzed your tongue,' said Chauvelin, sarcastically, "'I must needs refresh your memory. It was agreed between us that if we overtook my friend, the tall stranger, before he reached this place, you would have ten pieces of gold.' A low moan escaped from the Jew's trembling lips. "'But?' added Chauvelin, with slow emphasis. "'If you deceived me in your promise, you were to have a sound beating, one that would teach you not to tell lies.' "'I did not, Your Honor. I swear it, by Abraham. And by all the other patriarchs I know. Unfortunately, they are still in Hades, I believe, according to your creed, and cannot help you much in your present trouble. Now you did not fulfill your share of the bargain, but I am ready to fulfill mine. "'Here,' "'he added, turning to the soldiers. "'Apply the buckle end of your two belts "'to this confounded Jew.' "'As the soldiers obediently unbuckled their heavy leather belts, "'the Jew set up a howl "'that surely would have been enough "'to bring all the patriarchs out of Hades and elsewhere "'to defend their descendant "'from the brutality of this French official. "'I think I can rely on you, "'citizen soldiers,' laughed Chauvelin, "'maliciously, "'to give this old liar "'the best and soundest beating he's ever experienced. "'But don't kill him.' he added dryly. "'We will obey, Citoyen replied the soldiers, as imperturbably as ever. He did not wait to see his orders carried out. He knew that he could trust these soldiers, who were still smarting under his rebuke, not to mince matters when given a free hand to belabor a third party. "'When that lumbering coward has had his punishment,' he said to Disgoss, "'the man can guide us as far as the cart, and one of them can drive us back in it to Calais. "'The Jew and the woman can look after each other,' he added roughly until we can send somebody for them in the morning. They can't run away very far in their present condition, and we cannot be troubled with them just now. Chauvelin had not given up all hope. His men, he knew, were spurred on by the hope of the reward. That enigmatic and audacious Scarlet Pimpernel, alone and with thirty men at his heels, could not reasonably be expected to escape a second time. But he felt less sure now. The Englishman's audacity had baffled him once, whilst the wooden-headed stupidity of the soldiers... "'and the interference of a woman had turned his hand, "'which held all the trumps into a losing one. "'If Marguerite had not taken up his time, "'if the soldiers had had a grain of intelligence, "'if, if... "'It was a long if, "'and Chauvelin stood for a moment quite still "'and enrolled thirty-odd people in one long, "'overwhelming anathema. "'Nature, poetic, silent, balmy, "'the bright moon, the calm silvery sea, "'spoke of beauty and of rest,' and Chauvelin cursed nature, cursed man and woman, and above all, he cursed all the long-legged, meddlesome British enigmas with one gigantic curse. The howls of the Jew behind him, undergoing his punishment, sent a balm through his heart, overburdened as it was with revengeful malice. He smiled. It eased his mind to think that some human being at least was, like himself, not altogether at peace with mankind. He turned and took a last look at the lonely bit of coast Where stood the wooden hut, now bathed in moonlight, the scene of the greatest discomfiture ever experienced by a leading member of the Committee of Public Safety. Against a rock, on a hard bed of stone, lay the unconscious figure of Marguerite Blakeney, while some few paces further on, the unfortunate Jew was receiving on his broad back the blows of two stout leather belts wielded by the stolid arms of two sturdy soldiers of the Republic. The howls of Benjamin Rosenbaum were fit to make the dead rise from their graves. "'They must have wakened all the gulls from sleep "'and made them look down with great interest "'at the doings of the lords of the creation.' "'That will do,' commanded Chauvelin, "'as the Jews' moans became more feeble, "'and the poor wretch seemed to have fainted away. "'We don't want to kill him.' "'Obediently the soldiers buckled on their belts, "'one of them viciously kicking the Jew to one side. "'Leave him there,' said Chauvelin, "'and lead the way now quickly to the cart. "'I'll follow.' He walked up to where Marguerite lay, and looked down into her face. She had evidently recovered consciousness, and was making feeble efforts to raise herself. Her large blue eyes were looking at the moonlit scene round her with a scared and terrified look. They rested with a mixture of horror and pity on the Jew, whose luckless fate and wild howls had been the first signs that struck her, with her returning senses. Then she caught sight of Chauvelin, in his neat, dark clothes, which seemed hardly crumpled after the stirring events of the last few hours. He was smiling sarcastically, and his pale eyes peered down at her with a look of intense malice. With mock gallantry he stooped and raised her icy cold hand to his lips, which sent a thrill of indescribable loathing through Marguerite's weary frame. "'I must regret, fair lady,' he said in his most suave tones, "'that circumstances, over which I have no control, compel me to leave you here for the moment. But I go away, securing the knowledge that I do not leave you unprotected.' "'Our friend Benjamin here, "'though a trifle the worse for wear at the present moment, "'will prove a gallant defender of your fair person, "'I have no doubt. "'At dawn I will send an escort for you. "'Until then, I feel sure that you will find him devoted, "'though perhaps a trifle slow.' Marguerite only had the strength to turn her head away. "'Her heart was broken with cruel anguish. "'One awful thought had returned to her mind, "'together with gathering consciousness. "'What had become of Percy? "'What of Armand?' She knew nothing of what had happened after she heard the cheerful song, "'God Save the King,' which she believed to be the signal of death. "'I myself,' concluded Chauvelin, "'must now very reluctantly leave you. "'Au revoir, fair lady. "'We meet, I hope, soon in London. "'Shall I see you at the Prince of Wales garden party?' "'No. Ah, well, au revoir. "'Remember me, I pray, to Sir Percy Blakeney.' And with a last ironical smile and bow, he once more kissed her hand and disappeared down the footpath in the wake of the soldiers, and followed by the imperturbable disgust. We'll return with the final chapter, chapter 31, right after these sponsor messages. And now, chapter 31, The Escape. Marguerite listened, half-dazed as she was, to the fast-retreating, firm footsteps of the four men, All nature was so still that she, lying with her ear close to the ground, could distinctly trace the sound of their tread as they ultimately turned into the road, and presently the faint echo of the old cart wheels, the halting gait of the lean nag, told her that her enemy was a quarter of a league away. How long she lay there she knew not. She had lost count of time. Dreamily she looked up at the moonlit sky and listened to the monotonous roll of the waves. The invigorating scent of the sea was nectar to her wearied body, The immensity of the lonely cliffs was silent and dreamlike. Her brain only remained conscious of its ceaseless, tolerable torture of uncertainty. She did not know. She did not know whether Percy was even now, at this moment, in the hands of the soldiers of the Republic, enduring, as she had done herself, the jibes and jeers of his malicious enemy. She did not know, on the other hand, whether Armand's lifeless body did not lie there, in the hut, whilst Percy had escaped, only to hear that his wife's hands had guided the human bloodhounds to the murder of Armand and his friends. The physical pain of utter weariness was so great that she hoped confidently her tired body could rest here forever, after all the turmoil, the passion, and the intrigues of the last few days, here, beneath that clear sky, within sound of the sea, and with this balmy autumn breeze whispering to her a last lullaby. All was so solitary, so silent, like unto dreamland, Even the last faint echo of the distant cart had long ago died away. Suddenly a sound, the strangest, undoubtedly, that these lonely cliffs of France had ever heard, broke the silent solemnity of the shore. So strange a sound was it that the gentle breeze ceased to murmur, the tiny pebbles to rolled down the steep incline. So strange that Marguerite, wearied, overwrought as she was, thought that the beneficial unconsciousness of the approach of death "'was playing her half-sleeping senses "'a weird and elusive trick. "'It was the sound of a good, solid, "'absolutely British. "'Damn!' "'The seagulls in their nests awoke "'and looked round in astonishment. "'A distant and solitary owl set up a midnight hoot. "'The tall cliffs frowned down majestically "'at the strange, unheard-of sacrilege. "'Marguerite did not trust her ears. "'Half raising herself on her hands, "'She strained every sense to see or hear, "'to know the meaning of this very earthly sound. "'All was still again for the space of a few seconds. "'The same silence once more fell upon the great and lonely vastness. "'Then Marguerite, who had listened as in a trance, "'who felt that she must be dreaming with that cool, "'magnetic moonlight overhead, heard again. "'And this time her heart stood still, "'her eyes large and dilated, looking round her, "'not daring to trust to her other sense.' God's life! But I wish those damned fellows had not hit quite so hard! This time it was quite unmistakable. Only one particular pair of essentially British lips could have uttered those words in sleepy, drawly, affected tones. Damn! repeated those same British lips emphatically. Zounds! But I'm as weak as a rat! In a moment, Marguerite was on her feet. Was she dreaming? Were those great, stony cliffs the gates of paradise? "'Was the fragrant breath of the breeze "'suddenly caused by the flutter of angels' wings "'bringing tidings of unearthly joys to her "'after all her suffering? "'Or, faint and ill, "'was she the prey of delirium?' "'She listened again, "'and once again she heard the same "'very earthly sounds of good, honest "'British language, not the least "'akin to whisperings from paradise "'or flutter of angels' wings. "'She looked round her eagerly at the tall "'cliffs, the lonely hut, the great "'stretch of rocky beach.' "'Somewhere there, above or below her, "'behind a boulder or inside a crevice, "'but still hidden from her longing, feverish eyes, "'must be the owner of that voice, "'which once used to irritate her, "'but which now would make her the happiest woman in Europe, "'if only she could locate it.' "'Percy! Percy!' she shrieked hysterically, "'tortured between doubt and hope. "'I am here! Come to me! Where are you?' "'It's all very well calling me, my dear.' said the same sleepy, drawly voice. But odds, my life, I cannot come to you. These damned frog-eaters have trust me like a goose on a spit, and I'm as weak as a mouse. I can't get away. And still Marguerite did not understand. She did not realize for at least another ten seconds whence came that voice, so drawly, so dear, but alas, with the strange accent of weakness and of suffering. There was no one within sight, except by that rock. Good God! "'The Jew! Was she mad or dreaming?' His back was against the pale moonlight. He was half-crouching, trying vainly to raise himself with his arms tightly pinioned. Marguerite ran up to him, took his head in both her hands, and looked straight into a pair of blue eyes, good-natured, even a trifle amused, shining out of the weird and distorted mask of the Jew. "'Percy! Percy! My husband!' she gasped, faint with the fullness of her joy." Thank God! Thank God! La, my dear, he rejoined, good-humoredly. We will both do that anon. And you think you can loosen these dimmed ropes and release me from my inelegant attitude? She had no knife. Her fingers were numb and weak, but she worked away with her teeth, while great welcome tears poured from her eyes and onto those poor, pinioned hands. "Ah's life, he said, when at last, after frantic efforts on her part, "'the rope seemed at last to be giving way. "'But I marvel whether it has ever happened before "'that an English gentleman allowed himself "'to be licked by a demmed foreigner "'and made no attempt to give as good as he got. "'It was very obvious that he was exhausted "'from sheer physical pain, "'and at last when the rope gave way "'he fell in a heap against the rock. "'Marguerite looked helplessly round her. "'Oh, for a drop of water on this awful beach!' "'she cried in agony, "'seeing that he was ready to faint again.' "'Nay, my dear,' he murmured, with his good-humoured smile. "'Personally, I should prefer a drop of good French brandy. "'And you'll dive in the pocket of this dirty old garment. "'You'll find my flask. "'I'm damned if I can move.' "'When he had drunk some brandy, he forced Marguerite to do likewise. "'Blah! "'That's better now. "'Eh, little woman?' he said, with a sigh of satisfaction. "'Heigh-ho! "'But this is a queer rig-up for Sir Placey Blakeney.' to be found in by his lady, at no mistake. Begad, he added, passing his hand over his chin. I haven't been shaved for nearly twenty hours. I must look disgusting. As for these curls... And laughingly he took off the disfiguring wig and curls, and stretched out his long limbs, which were cramped for many hours stooping. Then he bent forward, and looked long and searchingly into his wife's blue eyes. Percy, she whispered, "'while a deep blush suffused your delicate cheeks and neck. "'If you only knew! "'I do know, dear, everything,' he said, with infinite gentleness. "'And can you ever forgive? "'I have nothing to forgive, sweetheart. "'Your heroism, your devotion, which I, alas, so little deserved, "'have more than atoned for that unfortunate episode at the ball.' "'Then you knew?' she whispered. "'All the time?' "'Yes,' he replied tenderly. "'I knew, all the time. "'But begad! "'Had I but known what a noble heart yours was, "'my Margot, I should have trusted you, "'as you deserve to be trusted, "'and you would not have had to undergo "'the terrible sufferings of the past few hours "'in order to run after a husband "'who has done so much that needs forgiveness.' "'They were sitting side by side, "'leaning up against a rock, "'and he had rested his aching head on her shoulder. "'She certainly now deserved the name "'of the happiest woman in Europe.' It is a case of the blind leading the lame, sweetheart, is it not he said with his good-natured smile of old, Ah's life, but I do not know which are the more sore, my shoulders or your little feet. He bent forward to kiss them, for they peeped out through their torn stockings and bore pathetic witness to her endurance and devotion, but Armand she said with sudden terror and remorse. As in the midst of her happiness, the image of the beloved brother for whose sake she had so deeply sinned rose now before her mind. Oh, have no fear for Armand, sweetheart, he said tenderly. Did I not pledge you my word that he should be safe? He is with de Tournay and the others. He, with de Tournay and the others, are even now on board the Daydream. But how? she gasped. I do not understand. Yet 'tis simple enough, my dear,' he said, with that funny, half shy, half inane laugh of his. You see, when I found that that brute Chauvelin had meant to stick to me like a leech, I thought the best thing I could do, as I could not shake him off, was to take him along with me. I had to get to Armand and the others somehow, and everyone on the lookout for you, and everyone on the lookout for your humble servant. I knew that when I slipped through Chauvelin's fingers at that that he would lie in wait for me here, whichever way I took. "'I wanted to keep an eye on him and his doings. "'And a British head is as good as a French one any day.' "'Indeed, it had proved to be infinitely better, "'and Marguerite's heart was filled with joy and marvel "'as he continued to recount to her the daring manner "'in which he had snatched the fugitives away, "'right from under Chauvelin's very nose. "'Dressed as the dirty old Jew,' he said gaily, "'I knew I should not be recognized. "'I had met Reuben Goldstein in Calais earlier in the evening.' "'For a few gold pieces he supplied me with this rig-out, "'and undertook to bury himself out of sight of everybody "'whilst he lent me his cart and nag. "'But if Chauvelin had discovered you,' she gasped, "'your disguise was good. "'But he is so sharp.' "'Odds, fish,' he rejoined quietly, "'then certainly the game would have been up. "'I could but take the risk. "'I know human nature pretty well by now,' he added, "'with a note of sadness in his cheery young voice.' "'and I know these Frenchmen out and out. "'They so loathe the Jew "'that they never come nearer than a couple of yards of him. "'And begad! "'I fancied that I contrived to make myself "'look about as loathsome an object "'as it is possible to conceive.' "'Yes.' "'And then?' she asked. "'Zooks!' "'Then I carried out my little plan. "'That is to say, at first I only determined "'to leave everything to chance. "'But when I heard Chauvelin giving his orders to the soldiers, "'I thought that fate and I were going to work together after all.' I reckoned on the blind obedience of the soldiers. Chauvelin had ordered them, on pain of death, not to stir until the tall Englishman came. Desgas had thrown me down in a heap quite close to the hut. The soldiers took no notice of the Jew, who had driven Citoyen Chauvelin to this spot. I managed to free my hands from the ropes with which the brute had trust me. I always carry a pencil and paper with me wherever I go, and I hastily scrawled a few important instructions on a scrap of paper. Then I looked about me. I crawled up to the hut, to the very noses of the soldiers, who lay under cover without stirring, just as Chauvelin had ordered them to do. Then I dropped my little note into the hut, through a chink in the wall, and waited. In this note, I told the fugitives to walk noiselessly out of the hut, creep down the cliffs, keep to the left until they came to the first creek, to give a certain signal when the boat of the Daydream, which lay in wait not far out to sea, would pick them up. They obeyed implicitly, fortunately for them and for me. THE SOLDIERS WHO SAW THEM WERE EQUALLY OBEDIENT TO CHAUVELIN'S ORDERS. THEY DID NOT STIR. I WAITED FOR NEARLY HALF AN HOUR. WHEN I KNEW THAT THE FUGITIVES WERE SAFE, I GAVE THE SIGNAL WHICH CAUSED SO MUCH STIR. AND THAT WAS THE WHOLE STORY. IT SEEMED SO SIMPLE, AND MARGUERITE COULD BUT MARVEL AT THE WONDERFUL INGENUITY, THE BOUNDLESS PLUCK AND AUDACITY WHICH HAD EVOLVED AND HELPED TO CARRY OUT THIS DARING PLAN. BUT THOSE BRUTES STRUCK YOU, SHE GASPED IN HORROR AT THE bare RECOLLECTION OF THE FEARFUL INDIGNITY. "'Well, that could not be helped,' he said gently. "'Whilst my little wife's fate was so uncertain, "'I had to remain here by her side.' "Ah, Odds, life,' he added merrily. "'Never fear. "'Chauvelin will lose nothing by waiting, I warrant. "'Wait till I get him back to England. "'La! "'He shall pay for the thrashing he gave me "'with compound interest, I promise you.' Marguerite laughed. "'It was so good to be beside him, "'to hear his cheery voice, "'to watch that good-humoured twinkle in his blue eyes.' "'as he stretched out his long arms "'in longing for that foe "'and the anticipation of his well-deserved punishment. "'Suddenly, however, she started. "'The happy blush left her cheek. "'The light of joy died out of her eyes. "'She had heard a stealthy footfall overhead, "'and a stone had rolled down from the top of the cliffs "'right down to the beach below. "'What's that?' "'She whispered in horror and alarm. "'Oh, nothing, my dear,' "'he muttered with a pleasant laugh. "'Only a trifle you happen to have forgotten.' "'My friend. Folks.' "'Sir Andrew!' she gasped. "'Indeed, she had wholly forgotten the devoted friend and companion "'who had trusted and stood by her during all these hours of anxiety and suffering. "'She remembered him now, tardily, and with a pang of remorse.' "'Aye, you had forgotten him, hadn't you, my dear?' said Sir Percy merrily. Fortunately, I met him not far from the Chagri before I had that interesting supper party with my friend Chauvelin. Ah's life! But I have a score to settle with that young reprobate. But in the meanwhile, I told him of a very long, very roundabout road that would bring him here by a very circuitous road which Chauvelin's men would never suspect. Just about the time when we're ready for him, eh, hey, little woman? And he obeyed? asked Marguerite in utter astonishment. "'without word or question. "'See? Here he comes. "'He was not in the way when I did not want him, "'and now he arrives in the nick of time. "'Ah, he will make pretty little Suzanne "'a most admirable and methodical husband.' "'In the meanwhile, Sir Andrew Foulkes "'had cautiously worked his way down the cliffs. "'He stopped once or twice, "'pausing to listen for the whispered words "'which would guide him to Blakeney's hiding-place. "'Blakeney!' he ventured to say, at last, cautiously. "'Blakeney! Are you there?' The next moment he rounded the rock against which Sir Percy and Marguerite were leaning, and seeing the weird figure still clad in the long Jew's gabardine, he paused in sudden, complete bewilderment. But already Blakeney had struggled to his feet. "'Here I am, friend,' he said with his funny, inane laugh. "'All alive, though I do look like a begad scarecrow in these dem things.' "'Zooks!' said Sir Andrew, in boundless astonishment, as he recognized his leader. "'Of all the The young man had seen Marguerite, and happily checked the forcible language that rose to his lips at sight of the exquisite Sir Percy in this weird and dirty garb. "'Yes,' said Blakeney calmly. "'Of all the—' "'My friend, I have not yet had time to ask you what you were doing in France, when I ordered you to remain in London.' "'Insubordination?' "'What? Wait till my soldiers are less sore, and by gad, see the punishment you'll get.' "'Odd's I'll bear it,' said Sir Andrew, with a merry laugh. "'Seeing that you are alive to give it, "'would you have had me allow Lady Blakely to do the journey alone?' "'But in the name of heaven, man, "'where did you get these extraordinary clothes?' "'Lord, they are a bit quaint, ain't they?' "'laughed Sir Percy, jovially. "'But odd's fish!' he added, with sudden earnestness and authority. "'Now you are here, folks. We must lose no more time. "'That brute chauvelin may send someone to look after us.' Marguerite was so happy, she could have stayed here forever, hearing his voice, asking a hundred questions. But at mention of Chauvelin's name, she started in quick alarm, afraid for the dear life she would have died to save. "'But how can we get back?' she gasped. "'The roads are full of soldiers between here and Calais, and—' "'We're not going back to Calais, sweetheart,' he said. "'But just the other side of Grenay, not half a league from here. The boat of the daydream will meet us there.' "'The boat of the daydream?' "'Yes,' he said, with a merry laugh. "'Another little trick of mine. "'I should have told you before "'that when I slipped that note into the hut, "'I also added another for Armand, "'which I directed him to leave behind, "'which has sent Chauvelin and his men "'running full tilt back to the Gris after me. "'But the first little note "'contained my real instructions, "'including those to old Briggs. "'He had my orders to go out further to sea "'and then towards the west. "'When well out of sight of Calais,' "'He will send the galley to a little creek he and I know of, "'just beyond the A. "'The men will look out for me. "'We have a preconcerted signal, "'and we will all be safely aboard, "'while Chauvelin and his men solemnly sit and watch the creek, "'which is just opposite the Chakri. "'The other side of Grinay? "'But I—I I cannot walk, Percy.' "'She moaned helplessly, as, trying to struggle to her tired feet, "'she found herself unable even to stand. "'I will carry you, dear.' he said simply. The blind leading the lame, you know. Sir Andrew was ready, too, to help with the precious burden, but Sir Percy would not entrust his beloved to any arms but his own. When you and she are both safely on board the daydream, he said to his young comrade, and I feel that Mademoiselle Suzanne's eyes will not greet me in England with reproachful looks, then it will be my turn to rest. And his arms, still vigorous in spite of fatigue and suffering, closed round Marguerite's poor, weary body, "'and lifted her as gently as if she had been a feather. "'Then, as Sir Andrew discreetly kept out of earshot, "'there were many things said, or rather whispered, "'which even the autumn breeze did not catch, "'for it had gone to rest. "'All his fatigue was forgotten, "'his shoulders must have been very sore, "'for the soldiers had hit hard, "'but the man's muscles seemed made of steel, "'and his energy was almost supernatural. "'It was a weary tramp, "'half a league along the stony side of the cliffs,' but never for a moment did his courage give way or his muscles yield to fatigue. On he tramped, with firm footstep, his vigorous arms encircling the precious burden, and, no doubt, as she lay, quiet and happy, at times lulled the momentary drowsiness, at others watching, to the slowly gathering morning light, the pleasant face with the lazy drooping blue eyes, ever cheerful, ever illumined with a good-humored smile, she whispered many things which helped to shorten the weary road. And acted as a soothing balsam to his aching sinews. The many-hued light of dawn was breaking in the east when at last they reached the creek beyond Green The galley lay in wait. In answer to a signal from Sir Percy, she drew near, and two sturdy British sailors had the honor of carrying Milady into the boat. Half an hour later, they were on board the Daydream. The crew, who of necessity were in their master's secrets, and who were devoted to him heart and soul, were not surprised to see him arriving in so extraordinary a disguise. Armand St. Just and the other fugitives were eagerly awaiting the advent of their brave rescuer. He would not stay to hear the expressions of their gratitude, but found his way to his private cabin as quickly as he could, leaving Marguerite quite happy in the arms of her brother. Everything on board the daydream was fitted with that exquisite luxury, so dear to Sir Percy Blakeney's heart, and by the time they all landed at Dover, he had found time to get into some of the sumptuous clothes which he loved, and of which he always kept a supply on board his yacht. The difficulty was to provide Marguerite with a pair of shoes, and great was the little Mitty's joy when my lady found that she could put foot on English shore in his best pair. The rest is silence, silence and joy for those who had endured so much suffering, yet found at last a great and lasting happiness. But it is on record that the brilliant wedding of Sir Andrew Foulkes, with Mademoiselle Suzanne de Tournay de Besserive, "'a function at which H.R.H., the Prince of Wales, "'and all the elite of the fashionable society were present. "'The most beautiful woman there was unquestionably Lady Blakeney, "'whilst the clothes Sir Percy Blakeney wore "'with the talk of the Jeunet de Ré of London for many days. "'It is also a fact that Monsieur Chauvelin, "'the accredited agent of the French Republican government, "'was not present at that or any other social function in London "'after that memorable evening at Lord Grenville's Ball.'" Thank you for joining us for this great story, The Scarlet Pimpernel, by Baroness Orksy. Opening in London's fashionable West End on January 5, 1905, The Scarlet Pimpernel, the play, became a favorite of British audiences. Some of Orksy's paintings were exhibited at the Royal Academy in London. During World War I, she formed the Women of England's Active Service League, an unofficial organization aimed at encouraging women to persuade men to volunteer for active service in the armed forces. The play ran four years in London, broke many stage records, and eventually played more than 2,000 performances, becoming one of the most popular shows staged in Britain. It was translated and produced in other countries and underwent several revivals. Orsey went on to write over a dozen sequels featuring Sir Percy Blakeney, his family, and the other members of the League of the Scarlet Pimpernel, of which the first, I Will Repay, was the most popular. The last Pimpernel book, Mademoiselle Guillotine, was published in 1940, None of her three subsequent plays matched the success of The Scarlet Pimpernel. She also wrote popular mystery fiction and many adventure romances. Her Lady Molly of Scotland Yard was an early example of a female detective as the main character. Other popular detective stories from her featured The Old Man in the Corner, a sleuth who chiefly used logic to solve crimes. Orsey was a founding member of the Detection Club in 1930. Her work was so successful that she was able to buy a house in Monte Carlo. Villa Bijou at 19 Avenue de la Costa is where she spent World War II. She was not able to return to London until after the war. She died in Henley-on-Thames, Oxfordshire, on November 12, 1947. We hope you enjoyed our story. We'll be returning soon with a brand new story here at 1001 Greatest Love Stories. We really appreciate reviews, so if you can take a few minutes and give us a good review, we would appreciate that very much. Everyone stay safe, and we'll be back very soon.